this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. It's the Pittsburgh Oddcast. Welcome, everybody, back to the Pittsburgh Oddcast. My name is Andrew Lindbergh. I'm the producer of the program, and with me, as always, is the founder of Odd Pittsburgh, John Chalkowski. Well, hello, everybody. Today, we bring you a special guest in our March to 100. Very special. Here on KDK, and that is our good friend, Mr. Robert Mangino. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming on the Pittsburgh Podcast. Yes, absolutely. So, it's different this time, huh? Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm so used to doing the interviewing all the time and asking all the questions. Now I get interviewed. That's right. That's right. Well, for uh, some listeners that might not know, um, w- would you like to tell them what we've been doing now for the last year? Uh, it, it's really been a great experience. We first got connected as I was filling in for the morning show, mm-hmm. and then I'd get to have you on at different times to be able to talk about special events. And then we got together at the end of last year and thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool to be able to go over all of the events that have taken place in Pittsburgh? And we we started going through them and realized, oh, my goodness, there's just so much to talk about. So last January, we started doing a show every other Saturday on my show in the afternoon on Saturdays where we would take a look back in Pittsburgh history, two-week window, a look at the week that was and a look at the week coming up. And we quickly discovered that there are more things happening in any given day than we could possibly talk about in an hour-long show right. covering just two weeks. That's right. That's right. I mean, in fact, uh, I printed the list off <laughs> and brought that in, and it's a practically a ream of paper uh, that we've actually discussed. Printed on both sides. On both sides, <laughs> exactly. And we've uh, compiled a list, so it took a long time. Uh, most of that list that we do talk about comes from a uh, – a book that was published in the 1970s uh, that was uh, kind of chronicled Pittsburgh history per day or anytime there was an important event like uh, November 28th, 1753, right? That's when Pittsburgh was founded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that date, November 28th, goes into the history books. Well, like, what is history? What's not considered history, right? So what you slowly start to understand is things like, you know, Mary Lemieux's uh, five you know, five goals, five different ways in one single game. That's history. Right. <laughs> right. Of course. Um, that, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh drug trials with the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? You know, that is now history. You know, these are all events that have happened in our recent lifetime, you know, during our lifetime mm-hmm. that you, we can now kind of go back and reflect on. And uh, which I think is the most interesting thing about yeah, what we've been doing for this last year is that each and every one of these stories, well, there's lots of humorous ones and there's lots of really great sports facts and, and, and so many different things, you know, um, that, uh, they teach us a lesson, you know, uh, on how we can learn from, Oh, we, we see an event mm-hmm. and we say, Oh, you know, this happened in like the Island queen disaster, right. Uh, with that big, uh, steam ship that exploded on the riverbanks in 1947, I think it is. Um, you know, an event that killed 40 people, 40 people dead. And, uh, unless you were there um, or uh, have done the research yourself, you wouldn't even know that this event even happened. Right. And, and so I think uh, it gives us a unique opportunity to, uh, even though it's quick, you know, I'll, we'll go through a long list of things, uh, but, you know, to mention these people who all came before us who don't normally get mentioned in everyday conversation, it, it gives these people just that one more chance to be recognized and to not be forgotten. Yes. You know, they, they say different dates like 9-11, right, or 7-7 if you lived in England, you mm-hmm. know, uh, t- uh, terrorist attacks, these these events, these days that would live in infamy, December 7th, right? You don't even need a date. You just need to know December 7th. Well, there was other things like April, you know, uh, of 1845, the Great Fire of 1845, a date that Pittsburghers thought would live in infamy, which has not. Right. And that's interesting to me in that when you look at history, there is going to be a day where 9-11 will not have much significance. That's sad but true. Yes, because we thought that December the 7th 
mm-hmm. would always live on. And as we are losing that generation, the significance of what took place and what it meant and how that was a catalyst for not only a nation to go to war where soldiers would go, but mm-hmm. so many people would be soldiers in that war. And then everyone back home was completely invested in that war. Yeah. Mentally, emotionally, uh, their family members, there were victory gardens. Everything was done in a contribution to be able to go forward with that. But as you lose the generation, yeah. that understanding and significance goes away. So um, I think it's important to be able to go back as we have mm-hmm. to look at those events in history. I also like that we have found so many things together. Well, actually, you've known them. I've discovered them that were world firsts. Oh, yeah. That you you don't realize and fully appreciate the great contribution that Pittsburgh has made, its residents, uh, its founders, uh, those that have visited and have gone through, mm. not only to this region, not only to this commonwealth in this country, but ultimately the entire planet. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh... I mean, you could go back just the the invention of electricity, right, with, uh, you know, Tesla and Westinghouse. But so many world firsts, so many world records, even sports records. I mean, the sport records are out of this world. You know, the the ones that we talk about, like these, like even little things like uh, the longest game ever played or the the most innings in a baseball game. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) these are all world firsts. The things that happened here in Pittsburgh first, right? Uh, the first World Series, you know, for example, or the birth of hockey, or the birth of football, and and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and you're right; like, I don't think most Pits, you know, most Pittsburghers don't really even know all these world firsts, let alone appreciate each and every single one. Like, I I like hot water, right? I like oh, you know my house. Of course, I like when I turn my faucet on, it's hot water. Well, mm-hmm. Edwin Rude, uh, with Rude, uh, you know, the uh, water heaters. He's the guy who invented that. You know, from Pittsburgh. <laughs> so, like, you have a Pittsburgher to thank for almost everything. Right. I mean, we're talking on a medium that was really developed and perfected here in Pittsburgh. Of course. Uh, one that, uh, and like uh, Larry said that we had on, uh, I mean, the cough button, that was invented in Pittsburgh, you know, for the mics. Uh, so on, so many different things. So, anyways, I want to kind of step back a little bit. Okay. And, uh, and a lot of people know about, you know, I guess you could say my origin story. Right. But uh, your origin story is a little bit of a a myth. <laughs> it's mythical. Okay. <laughs> Not so much mythical. I know you you were involved with pizza at one time. Yes, I was. And I know that you grew up in Newcastle mm-hmm. and uh, that you did make this trek from Newcastle to here. Right. Uh, daily, you know, at one time. I did. And uh, which was uh, uh, incredible to think about because, I mean, you just how long how long did that take you? Well, it's an hour down, hour back. Oh, uh, the wow. five years that I commuted, it was 35,000 miles a year on a car. Wow. Jeez. That's crazy. Yeah. So let's go all the way back. Okay. All the way back to you. Uh, little man Gino. <laughs> <laughs> little Bobby man Gino. <laughs> junior. Yes. Junior. And uh, yeah. so yeah. now. Not uh, Bobby, though. My dad was Bobby. Yeah. My mother nicknamed me Robbie. Oh. The TV show yeah. My Three Sons, right? Yeah, I believe it was the oldest son was Robbie, so she nicknamed me that, and all the way through until I moved to El Paso, Texas, in my senior year of high school, I was just known as Robbie. Man, wow. you know, well, yeah. Well, there you go. Well, Robbie, tell us about uh, what, what does radio mean to you? Like, how, so you know, when, when I, you know, I talk to anybody, you know, who's involved in any kind of field, um, you, you know, you always question, mm-hmm. well, how did you get here? You know, what was it about radio, not TV, not newspapers, not, um, you know, something else? Was there an attraction early on uh, about radio or was it something that you kind of landed into? Like, I, if you told me mm-hmm. 10 years ago that I would be on, you know, on KDKA radio, I would have, you know, laughed in your face. I would have said, what are you talking about? I'm going to be a famous movie director like Alfred Hitchcock or Steven Spielberg. You know, that's what I thought I was going to do. Okay. I did not think I was going to become a an historian, to um, you know, on the oldest radio station on earth uh, that's still continually operating. Um, but you know, what 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 were you interested in uh, growing up? Like, what did you want to be when you were a little kid? The very first thing I recall wanting to be was a priest. Oh, 
Interesting. Yes. Uh, very, very much interested in the religious uh, issues. Uh, was born and raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. Was an altar boy. Mm-hmm. And wanted to be a priest. And then um, Star Wars came out. And then I wanted to be the very first priest in space. Oh, there you go. <laughs> the galactic. Uh... <laughs> there was a way of putting that together. Yeah. Um, the beginnings of me being in talk, I guess, was I was always mature for my age. Uh, always interested more in what the adults were doing than what the kids were doing. Mm-hmm. My friends, as I was growing up in my teenage years, were all adults adult males, very few of them teenagers, acquaintances, but my closest friends were all adults. Mm-hmm. Um, I love getting together during the holidays and you had the kids go play. I want to hang out with the parents and the grandparents and the aunts and uncles, and they're talking about things that interested me. Oh, yeah. Religion and politics and yeah. what's going on. And that was where I began to cut my teeth about being in talk radio. Um and with that, my grandparents on both sides of my family, uh, very much interested in radio, loved it. Radio's all over the house and everything, constantly playing in the background. KDK was a station that uh, my grandmother on my dad's side listened to all of the time, always watching KDK TV. It was an absolute ritual. And um, my first exposures to radio was with her and my grandparents on my Mother's side, it was a station WKST in Newcastle, hmm. and um, the standard station there did a bit of music and talk, and um, I, I've told this story uh, many times and years ago where um, I enjoy talk radio more than music radio. I don't own hardly any music at all. Wow. Yeah. Very, very few songs, very, very few albums. But I loved listening to talk radio. Hmm. And Perry Marshall had a show called The Marshall's Office hmm. overnight here on KDK from midnight to 5 a.m. And it was his show that was the very first show that I ever called. Wow. I'm like 13 years old. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about school and education and classes and stuff. I can't even remember what it was specifically that I called in to talk about. I just remember being on the air with him for about mm-hmm. five minutes, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. Oh, yeah. And I wasn't so sure whether or not he thought what I had to say was interesting mm-hmm. or he was just blown away that it's after midnight and some 13-year-old in Newcastle <laughs> right. is listening and wanting to talk to him about education. Right. So, But it was a wonderful experience, and I just got such a rush out of that. I, I wanted to do something in radio, and uh, that was kind of the beginnings of it all. Wow. Well, that's interesting. You know, we, we all kind of share, uh, you know, I know Andy has talked about in the past about his love of old time radio. Yeah, mine was uh, Bob Logue, Robert. I called into Perry Marshall's, well, after Perry left, yes, Bob yes. took over, and I he was the first person I ever called on KDK Radio. Uh, I was a little bit younger than you. I was probably in, uh, like 10, 9. Oh, my. Um, yeah. Third grade was when I started becoming a... <laughs> uh, KDK loyal listener, uh, so yeah, yeah, very similar. Uh, yeah, me, roads. I was, an, I wasn't so lucky to to call into uh, KDK. I, I I did call into the radio when I was a kid, but I talked to Bubba, <laughs> you know, from B ninety four about Ghost. Believe it or not, uh, I called him when I was about 12, 13 years old. Oh, cool! Uh, to talk to about a haunted house uh, that I heard of in Latrobe, PA. But that's a story for another day. Okay. Um, so is that really where it kind of began? I mean, did you obviously had a interest in talk radio, but is that what like you wanted to like? Hey, I want to go to college. I want what, to go well, to school. Well, what happened? Like, what know. happened next was an uncle of mine who's only ten years older than me. Mm-hmm. It was more like a brother relationship with my uncles on my mom's side. Uh, he got a job at WKST mm-hmm. and um, start working there, doing overnights and weekends, and then eventually became the morning show host, and he would bring home, I was fascinated and curious, and he would bring back uh, AP wire stories, where now everything comes over the computer. But Mm -hmm. back then, this is the 70s and early 80s, there was what was called a wire that was constantly being printed. Hmm. And um, that was the beginnings of a term called rip and read, Mm -hmm. where you could just 
tear it off and go and read it to the people. And he would bring me back these stories and sports and weather and stuff like that. So wow. I'm like 13, 14 years old. I started recording Robbie's radio shows. Oh, wow. Nice. So I would record the newscasts and the sports casts mm-hmm. and interview neighbors and things like that, introduce mm-hmm. songs or whatever. Wow. And um, he then, as part of that, wanted to do give back. Charity was has always been something that's very, very important to him. He then took on a role as the um, mentor in a junior achievement project hmm. when I was in school so for people who were interested in radio. Mm-hmm. And that began to feed it quite a bit. Wow. And um, I realized at that point with that level of exposure, being able to go into a radio station and get in front of a microphone and be a part of compiling, I wanted to be in radio. I knew mm-hmm. I didn't want to be on the music side. Mm-hmm. But I knew I wanted to be in radio, and that was really the seed that was planted and that opportunity to be in a studio for the first time. Interesting. So yeah. so what was your first job in radio? I, I know that you briefly went to Youngstown, uh, correct? Yes. Uh, and I, I know that's closer than, right. than technically Pittsburgh. Well, actually, Castle, it goes back right? long before that. Really? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was living in El Paso, Texas. Okay. And that seed had been planted about wanting to be in radio. I had a job that I really didn't like. I was in pest control. Mm-hmm. There's nothing fun about <laughs> pest control in El Paso, Texas. Getting yeah. parking tickets all the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there was the parking ticket story, yeah. too. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> but cockroaches are just horrible in El Paso. Oh, wow. So I had a part of the job was to go to a radio station and spray for insects. The station happened to be a Christian radio station, um, 1590 KELP, hmm. and was that seed began to really begin to grow inside me. I want this is my opportunity to get back. So I contacted the program director and said, do you mind if I come down and just hang out for a little bit on a Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning? And he's sure, because we had talked enough when I was doing right. the pest control anyway. He invited me down. So for about a month, I would go down every single Saturday and visit with him and hang out. And then one Saturday, he said, you want to be on this side? And he let me wow. run the controls wow. like an engineer or producer would hear a KDKA, yeah. which was just thrilling to me. I never had to crack the microphone or anything, but I was making sure the commercials played and the shows played and stuff like that. And then... Uh, there was a, a opportunity to do an interview of a, a long form advertiser, kind of like what we have on KDK Pittsburgh Works. Mm-hmm. And with that, the host wasn't there. They needed somebody. Hmm. Would you do this? Sure. It's an opportunity to talk into a microphone. Are you kidding me? Right. That was the very first job that I had in radio where somebody paid me to do what I was doing. Wow. There was a two-year spread then from when that opportunity ended. I moved back to Newcastle, got out of that completely, got into the pizza business that you referenced uh, earlier. My cousin has a shop called Mangino's Pizza. I got into a business with my uncle who's in radio and started uh, carried on a place called Porta La Casa. Hmm. And pizza businesses in Newcastle, (laughs) there are a lot of pizza shops. They're just are way more shops than there are people to support them, mm-hmm. and it didn't last for very long. And then uh, went from job to job to job, and then became a manager of a convenience store called Country Fair. It's kind of like a Seven oh. Eleven. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hated the job. Oh, yeah. I would leave work. Not that there's anything wrong with Country Fair. Nothing, no, I mean, <laughs> Country Fair, they're nice enough people. I just hated right. the work. Oh, yeah. Because I would leave work on a Friday, mm-hmm. and all I could think about was the countdown in my head of when I had to go back to work on Monday. Yeah. And I thought, I love radio. i got to figure out some way of getting back into radio. Mm-hmm. And two little stations up in Mercer County um, that gave me an opportunity to get back into working in radio again where you're, you're recording commercials and making sure everything continues to run that it's the way that it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wiz Country 104 and The Breeze 96.7. And they were the ones that gave me the opportunity. So I, for a while, I did part-time radio and full-time country fair, but I knew I wanted out. And then 
got to do a little bit of work at WKST, that station I told you about earlier, did some news, overnight music, and then a morning show opportunity came about at WBZY Hmm. in Newcastle. It was an oldie station. Hmm. And uh, took a 50% pay cut from a convenience store manager (laughs) to work in radio for the first time because I knew I wanted to do this so desperately that I was willing to make the sacrifices in order to make it happen. So my very first full-time job, this is going back to um, fall of 95, was at an oldie station, WBZY, in Newcastle. Fascinating stuff. It's it's interesting how you never really know where the the road is going to take you. I know personally myself, I mean, I've had so many jobs. I mean, I even went through a time period where um, I went, I think I had over 10 different jobs in the course of 10 years, you know. <laughs> so uh, I've done everything from, uh, like I mentioned to you before, previously, uh, worked at a cemetery to uh, becoming a manager of a beer distributor to uh, uh, currently I work in the life insurance business. So it's like, uh, you know, um, the, you're, you're, you are uh, unique. And, uh, and I've noticed this when I talked to other people, uh, to know what you wanted to do mm-hmm. and did it, that changes, you know. There were two pieces of advice that my dad gave me that are critically important to me and developing my career and getting in talk radio. I was concerned about money, obviously, when you take mm-hmm. a 50% pay cut. Of course. My dad said, if you work hard, you're never going to starve. And he said, do what you're passionate about, and the money will come. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was I took that job at an oldie station. Um, you can easily play 18, 20 songs an hour at an oldie station because most of them are only about two minutes long. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to play music. I wanted to talk. Right. So I went from playing upwards of 18 songs an hour down to two. Wow. Because all of the rest of the time during the morning show was me talking. Mm -hmm. And that's where I cut my teeth on being able to monologue and cover news stories and talk about them. That within 10 months, I was doing fill-in work at um, WKBN in Youngstown, making up all the money that I lost. And then getting my foot in the door so I could then take over the morning show there before I came here at KDKA. Right. So now, what happened to bring you to KDKA? And what was your first reaction when you're like, what? Oh, KDKA? You know, <laughs> they're calling me, you know? Like, how did this happen? What's interesting is that um, the reason why I reached out to KDKA in the first place and I did the first contact was that. I was afraid I was going to lose my job at WKBN in Youngstown. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is in May of 2007, I got into a bicycle accident where I almost died. Oh, wow. Uh, Brain hemorrhages. It was a horrible thing. I had to get life flighted from Newcastle down to Pittsburgh at Mercy Hospital, spent several days in the hospital. And because of that brain injury that I had, I wasn't able to go on the air for at least six weeks. Wow, yeah. I talked my doctor into letting me go back to work at least part-time, and I was on the air for at least a couple of hours a day for six more weeks before I got full clearance. But during that time, I was afraid I was going to lose my job. Right. Because they wouldn't wait for me to get healthy. They would want to find somebody else. I So I sent an email to the program director that was here at KDKA at the time, Marshall Adams, I was afraid to talk to him because I knew my voice wasn't good enough. I Mm -hmm. wasn't thinking clearly enough. I wasn't forming words well enough to have a conversation with him, but I wanted to reach out to him. And he had listened to me for a long time over at KBN and knew who I was and was interested in the possibilities of me coming down. So once I finally got better, um, this was 2008, was given the first opportunity to be able to fill in here at KDKA. Wow. And I'll never forget that broadcast either. Yeah. Tell me about it. Because it was a Saturday night, mm-hmm. and it was 7 to midnight. And um, I can't remember the lady's name who had the show at the time. 
but it was very much a lifestyle show. Very easy, non-committal, non-politics, non-aggressive, anything like that at all. The Life Lounge. I think that's what it was, yes. And so I said to him, I said, Marshall, so what do you want me to do? What kind of show do you want? He says, do what you do in Youngstown. Just bring it here. I said, really? Are you sure? <laughs> right. And he says, no, sure. Go ahead and do that. And how long do you want me on for? Five hours. <laughs> Which right. was like a baptism from hell. Right. <laughs> because it was one of those ones to where if you can survive five hours doing talk in a area where typically people weren't used to listening to that style show and do it well enough to say, to have someone say, well, you can come back and do it again. Right. It was one of those amazing experiences that uh, I just will never forget at being able to do that. And then from that point on, it began a period of about 18 months or so where uh, I was doing all kinds of fill-in wow. on KDK from the um, early afternoon show to filling in for Fred Hansberger, which was a highlight for me to be able to just be able to say that. Right. That I'm filling in for Fred Hansberger, mm -hmm. of all people. And then uh, ultimately, uh, February 2010, I can't believe it's almost 10 years already. Yeah. That I've been full-time here at KDKA. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, does the impact of the history of the station do anything to you? I mean, do, do you feel the legacy that you are carrying the torch for? Or do you just keep on doing your job? When I think about it for any length of time, my thoughts go to, I don't deserve to be here in all genuineness, that I could never live up to Jack Bogut, mm -hmm. to live up to John Cigna, Fred Hansberger, Mike Pintek, Perry Marshall, Bob Logue. I mean, these are men that were just absolute icons and um, just completely honored that I would have the opportunity to even fill in. Mm -hmm. I, I remember back when I was told that I was going to be hired, when they said, yes, we want you here. I could have died that day <laughs> right. and died thinking I've had a successful career because I'd already done very well in Youngstown. And now I've been on the air at KDK and I've been offered a full-time job at a station I dreamed about being at when I was a kid. And uh, to be able to have that opportunity and to kind of carry things on, and now to have the chance of being on the air through a 100-year anniversary, it, it's just mind-blowing to even think about. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, just, I mean, I remember when Andy first called me. Uh, you know, a a Andy... I, <laughs> Bless your heart, Andy. But um, I posted randomly on my page a, uh, a story about Shazam, right? <laughs> Sorry, Captain Marvel. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, but it was you know Captain Marvel in Pittsburgh, and it was something unique that a lot of people probably just didn't know. And I, I was just I randomly found these, you know, um, comics, and I was like, well, this is interesting. I'm sure I'll put it out there. Maybe somebody will enjoy it, you know. And sure enough, that man is standing here before us today. <laughs> Uh, and Andrew called me up and says, hey, you know, I'm a producer of the morning show here on KDKA, and we'd love to have you on. You could talk about, you know, Captain Marvel. You could talk about whatever you want, you know, just a little segment or whatever. And I'm like, okay, you know, and this was, uh, you know, over five years ago, I guess now. <laughs> so, and, uh, and it was like, uh, I'm like, what? It's like KDKA, you know, like the KDKA, like the one that starts with the letter K, right? right. <laughs> you know, like uh, that station. Um Okay, you know, and, and then, you know, coming here, you know, and, and then joining you. And in fact, we, we've had this unique opportunity that for the last five years, almost on every single holiday, because the main the main hosts kind of go on vacation and, you know, for the morning show or whatever, the, you know, whatever show it is. And, and you were continuing to fill in, including the morning show during this the holiday season here. Right. Um, and that we've spent a lot of holidays together. We've spent Thanksgiving together. We've spent Halloween together. I've been on New Year's. <laughs> I've been on Christmas, you know. And uh, um, it's just amazing to think, even like on that day, like, okay, I'm on Christmas. You know, we're here on Christmas, spending it together, you know, or Thanksgiving or whatever. And uh, I, I, I don't feel, I mean, it's almost one of the best ways to spend 
Thanksgiving, you know, you know, you spend it with your family and that's all great and everything and mm-hmm. turkey's great, you know. But I do enjoy, you know, coming on here and spending it with you well, in particular. You. I enjoy spending it with you too. Going back to the heritage thing if I could for mm-hmm. just a moment. I did the last talk show. I hosted the last talk show from our studios downtown. Wow. Uh, I hosted the show, and then Barbara Borland did the last newscast from downtown before we came up. And I was asked, so is there anything you want from in the studios? And I said, absolutely. (laughs) Right. So what I chose to take home Mm -hmm. was the microphone. Wow. That they broadcast from going back decades. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember the first time I did that show, that Saturday night show I was telling you about, mm-hmm. Marshall says, oh, by the way, you can take off the pop filter off the microphone. It's kind of disgusting. And I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> right. I'm not taking that pop filter off. Mm-hmm. I said, the spit <laughs> of some of the greatest men who've ever been in radio is in that pop filter. Right. My spit is going to commingle with theirs. <laughs> There's no way I'm taking that thing off. Right. The, the spit of legends. Is that what? what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no way I'm taking that off. This is an opportunity of a lifetime here. So now I have that photograph. I have that microphone hung up in my bedroom as like a piece of art. Wow. To be able to, be able to look at it and say, I have that piece of history mm-hmm. that will be precious to me for the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, the um, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, so that's a great story. Now, I want to go back into, you know, you, you, you wanting initially to grow up and become a priest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, even though I've gone way off the radar, shared your similar, I like the traditions, you know, I like the uh, aspect of, of, you know, doing what's good. Yes. Now, similar to- I, the, If I may, yeah. you have the look that you could easily do Eastern Orthodox right now. <laughs> there you Maybe go. Prior. That's right. I can do my own uh, little hippie church, you know. Um, the uh, um, you, you, what I find um, fascinating is similar to Mister Rogers, okay, who was a Presbyterian minister himself, you know, uh, along with being going to school for music. That's all he went to school for. He went to school for music. Mm-hmm. He didn't go to school for TV or anything, and but he had this passion uh, of using television as a tool without a child or a person watching it. To, to spread the the message, which was so deeply rooted within himself and with his own personal beliefs, and to share these in a non-combative um, way. Uh, because if someone just comes in, you know, like, it takes a lot for me to get to church in this day and age, okay? okay? But what you do in your day-to-day life and how you incorporate that into what you're saying, um, whether that's just doing good, um, you know, I think uh, it's very clear uh, when talking to you. And, and for instance, you I found that you were so passionate, you know, about certain causes like Brothers Brothers Foundation. And, uh, you know, when we talk about Roberto Clemente, you know, every time, which sadly enough, we will be talking about uh, or, you know, like his anniversaries or New Year's Eve, you know, that's the date that he went missing. Um, so it's the, uh, I, I find that you have successfully you know, uh, in some ways, kind of translated this into uh, anomaly, you know, or a, uh, a, a a speech, you know, to give, which is positive, you know, or trying to look for the good and doing good without anyone telling you to do so. Like nobody told you, go help people in right. Puerto Rico. How did this inspiration, like of helping others, I know it's a very broad question, but uh, how does, does that, originate from your wanting to be into the priesthood or does this just come out naturally and how you've adapted it to this day and then also if you could talk about a little bit about why you got involved in the puerto rico okay. uh, correct yeah. yeah yeah when it comes to um faith and there are some people who think that if they just show up on sunday then that's all that matters, and then they can go ahead and live any way they want to for the rest of the week, and that's it. There are other people who, like you, John, that will want to live a life that is consistent with faith and then, uh, for varying reasons, be disillusioned with organized religion and not have much of an interest in wanting to be associated with it on Sundays. Um, For me, um, 
going to church has been something that's been very, very important in my life, uh, and living the life that you claim to have in you on Sundays, right? Uh, critically, um, I've always had um, a soft heart for those that suffer, the, those who have great difficulties in their life. Um, when I was living in El Paso, Texas, my mother got remarried. We went down my senior year in high school. And I remember being able to see into Juarez, Mexico from our hilltop house in El Paso, Texas. Wow. And for lack of a better term, there was this cul-de-sac. The cul-de-sac was not a paved road. It was a dirt road. The houses were not real nice houses. They were homes that were assembled out of wooden pallets hmm. with cardboard that made the walls. Wow. Corrugated tin that made the roof. Hmm. And you could see these so clearly because, one, El Paso and Juarez are very close to each other. And two, you get a pair of binoculars and it's just about as plain as day. And you can see just the complete total poverty. Uh, I was involved in a mission group when I was in El Paso. Uh, the church uh, was Independent Fundamental Baptist, and we would go into Juarez. And an experience that I had that just really drove home the need to be able to help people and how we are so fortunate, no matter how poor we may be here, is we would go into this one area where there was a garbage dump. Wow. Now, we think of where a garbage dump is now, and it's completely away from anything else that could possibly have anybody living around. Mm -hmm. There wasn't the case. Oh. It was like putting a dump in, converting a high school football field into the sanitation spot Jeez. in the middle of a neighborhood. Right. People would leave their homes, walk not even a couple hundred feet into the garbage dump to then get whatever they think they could use of value. Maybe it's metal for recycling, a bottle to get the deposit back on, wow. food that may be consumable. It right. was just absolutely horrific. So that was the, more of the feeding of this desire to want to be able to do for people. Mm -hmm. On the radio, those are the shows that I feel are the most impactful. Because so oftentimes, when we talk about issues, I present my view you present your view, we discuss it back and forth for a period of time, and then we go on. Right. Very rarely are people's minds changed. It was just some way of getting through a couple of hours' time. That's what we do. But when you can use the power of KDKA and 50,000 watts, and you can convey a message to let people know about wonderful groups, wonderful organizations, individuals who are doing really compelling things that are making a difference in the lives of people in our neighborhoods and across the country and around the world. Those are the shows that really matter. Yeah. yeah. And when Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico two years ago, um, because of my time in El Paso, I had an affinity for the Latino culture. And I saw the devastation of what took place, was completely heartbroken. And I did what uh, I think a lot of people do when they see catastrophe like this, is that you pray about it, you give money to organizations that can help, and I had 50,000 watts, I'm going to talk about it and hopefully encourage others. Now, sometimes when you do all that you can do, then you get placated and your conscience is somewhat sad and you're able to go on with your life. But mm. Puerto Rico would not let me do that. Mm. So I talk about it more. I would give more. I would pray more. And it still wasn't enough. And there was this burning desire in me to do something that I felt I could tangibly do to really make a difference. And that's why I did what I did to make contact with the young lady who was coordinating all of the uh, relief flights where she chartered planes by herself mm -hmm. uh, to go into Puerto Rico. And that was the, my first of six trips to go down. Wow. Loading up a plane with 26,000 pounds of medical supplies. 
unloading that plane with others as well, of course, and then reloading it with over 130 people who needed to be medically evacuated out of the country in order to come here to be with family and friends to get them the care that they needed. Um, It it just seemed like that was the thing to do, and it was the beginnings of a process. You mentioned Brother's Brother, where I'm now a board member, and it's because uh, of the work that I did with them. I mean, it's absolutely, uh, you know, incredible. It, it really is um, awe-inspiring and something to look up to um, because you, you you don't just talk the talk, <laughs> right, on KDK. You literally walk the walk. And um, a lot of people, I, I feel, um, do get that impression. And, and KDKA is a prime example because you tune in at any time pretty much during the day and night. You're going to hear something that we're trying to help somebody. Uh, for oh, example, absolutely. like last night with Children's Hospital or, you know, events that go on throughout the year. OK, um, uh, the just, you know, trying to help somebody. But your your passion to Puerto Rico is uh, in doing something about it and actually going there and not just, you know, talking about it mm. uh, really does uh, give an impression that you do care. You know, and, and I mean, I remember texting you and to be like hey we on for this saturday you know at 2 p.m you're like i'm in puerto rico i'm like oh <laughs> you know but the uh you know but it's it, it, you, you're out there vacationing you know and, and you're there to help and um a lot of people don't realize that they still need help and that that there's still lots a long way to go oh sure you know and just like with hurricane katrina you know you think it's oh this event happened on one weekend therefore now that weekend's over so they're all back to normal it's it's not back to normal and um, your continued um, mission, you know, uh, is is wonderful. Uh, I I I don't know, you know, you're not asking for a thank you, right? You're you're right. You're, you're looking to uh, to be generous. You know, we we just were in the holiday season recently, and and uh, you know, we talked about you know what Santa Claus is. Okay, what what does that mean? You know, it's not just you, you don't need a red suit and a beard to be Santa Claus. The concept of sharing the spirit of giving mm-hmm. um, without asking for a return. That's what I found out what the true meaning of Christmas was. It was giving and never, it wasn't even crossed my mind for a thank you or, uh, you know, anything. It was just, here, I want to help you. You need help, you know, and I please, you know, just accept this gift. Nice. Um, to do anything you could without asking, without even expecting something in return. That's what Santa does. You know, people come sit, they tell him things, they want him to bring him something. There's no, you know, he doesn't have to say, um, you know, what are you going to do for me? <laughs> right. right. And uh, I think that is unique in, uh, in how you've successfully used the power of radio and talk radio and KDKA uh, to the advantage of helping, literally helping people, yeah. human beings. Well, I, I think that you're right, too, about, when it comes to KDK and the level of passion and involvement that all the hosts have in mm-hmm. giving back, whether it's Larry and he's most known now for his Larry's hometown heroes. Right. And um, the efforts that he makes to be able to help so many worthy causes and what he does and emceeing events all over the region on a regular basis. Uh, Marty uses the power that he has with Get Marty and being able to help out many, many people throughout the region over the years with many different causes. Uh, Lynn's uh, another one who is very passionate about being able to give back. Wendy's like that too. I, I think it's just part of... Um, the makeup of us that mm-hmm. even if it wasn't something that was um, at the forefront when you got here, there's something about this place that helps to germinate that seed mm-hmm. that's inside you uh, to want to do more. And I, I would encourage people to look at the idea of giving back and not think about you can't do great enough mm-hmm. that it doesn't make a difference what little it is it's significant and it matters and bringing up the religious aspect once again um, jesus said anyone who gives a cup of water to a disciple in my name will not lose his reward now what's the significance of a cup of water mm-hmm you may not remember as time goes by that you gave the cup. The person you gave the cup of water 
may not remember that you gave them the cup of water, but God will remember what you did. And please take the opportunity as they're available to you to do what good you can for whomever you can. Um, And you start to get, like I feel at times, where people will say, you know, very kind things about efforts that I've made to to give back and and care for people and do things. And um, it's not completely altruistic. There's a selfish motive. Mm -hmm. I feel fantastic. Right, right. You know? Yeah. I go over and I visit uh, my Miss Gloria over at Marion Manor. Yeah. And it can take me 20 minutes from the time that I park to actually walk to her room. Mm -hmm. It's only a three-minute walk. Mm -hmm. But it can take 20 minutes or longer because you walk by and you see Pauline. And mm-hmm. you want to talk to her for a few minutes. And then you see Jeannie and she wants to visit. And then you see Mary and Dory and Rose and Alice. And you just realize, oh, my goodness, these wonderful women. And Jim, too, one of the gentlemen that's there. It's just so heart-touching. And you can realize you can make a difference in somebody's life just by saying hello. That's right. That's right. It's wonderful. Yeah, that is. It reminds me of a... Um... A man I once met in Los Angeles. Um, I, I worked on a project in my last year of film school uh, about a documentary about homelessness in Los Angeles. And um, you, you ran across all types of characters, but there was one man who really stuck out in my mind and uh, that I remember. Uh, we had no name. Uh, he just went by the name Smiley. Okay. And uh, he didn't ask for money. He, in fact, he didn't ask for anything uh, except for a smile in return. Now, this is a man who had nothing, who sat on a corner by Union Station in Los Angeles, downtown L.A., which is not the you know, greatest of all places, slept in the woods. Um, now, granted, you know, when you become that, that homeless and that, you know, you, there is some mental issues, you know, um, that might go along with it, but it was clear when, when talking to him that he was had this clear state of mind. But, you know, all, if you could just give him a smile, that was enough to keep him going one more day. You know, a man that had nothing to live for, right. you know. And uh, I feel that, you know, he taught me that lesson, just like you are, are, are sharing the same lesson, really, you know, of, of um, you know, just being good. <laughs> you know, yes. it's what it really comes down to, you know. Yeah. I, I try to make it a point to have nothing else, just say hello to people who weren't expecting the hello. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And you get some of the most beautiful responses to that. Mm-hmm. And people just light up and feel that it's great that somebody cared enough to just say that. Right. And who knows what that means to them moving forward for that day. That's right. You know, what impact that will have on them and their families, work, other relationships, who knows. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. You know, I, I commend you. Thank you know, you. and uh, it is uh, inspiring. And I uh, hope you um, realize that it does not go unnoticed. I appreciate that. So, Thank you. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing? Absolutely. So we uh, we had a little bit of an idea. So we, we you know, like we've mentioned before, and uh, and if you haven't listened to some of our past episodes, this week in he- history episodes, you can find them on the same place you find the Pittsburgh Oddcast as a podcast. Um, where you know, like we've mentioned, we go every day for a two-week period of time each and every single day you know we're we're, we're, we're 10 things one day five things the next you know and when we go to a commercial break and then we come back and do more we never have enough time to finish all two weeks you know we we always skip you know or just quickly <laughs> go right We've into done the next that thing. so many times oh so many they're like oh yeah and we won the world series and then next you know <laughs> so um what are we gonna what were we thinking about doing what I thought would be really cool is that considering we did the two weeks of um, a look back every other week is find a couple of things that were really key and most important, most recognizable, most significant, uh, the greatest stories that are behind those. And then instead of trying to just top water really quick or a quick little mention of things, really be able to take the time over the course of an hour to get four different stories, maybe more, and to develop them more in each one of the segments in order to give each one of those events 
proper consideration and really drive home uh, a message about people who can have great senses of uh, pride in community and being in Pittsburgh. And I think because of what took place with the demise of the steel mills uh, back in the 70s and 80s and the creation of what is now Steeler Nation, Mm -hmm. where people all over the country have a relationship back to Pittsburgh where people anywhere they may be, whether it's listening to KDK as it's being streamed at radio.com or going back to the podcast later, can begin to have a better understanding of the place that they once called home. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's uh, it's going to be fantastic. I mean, we have so many stories. <laughs> you know? Once again, it's going to be difficult it to figure be. out which ones we're not going to talk about every time. That's right. That's right. So it will be interesting. So make sure you uh, you tune into that and uh, and keep following uh, and your social media as well. You know, and Thank anywhere you. you can find and and of course, uh, you know, while you're on the air, tune in and listen because every day, you know, you have interesting guests on you you. You bring on people, you know, that from the community you are helping others to find out their stories, and, and you continue this kind of legacy. Uh, whether you, you know, couldn't go today to go to Puerto Rico, right? You find someone who just came back, you know. <laughs> you find some kind of way to to connect it all together, Thank and uh, in a, such a divided time, you know, um, to where this is not a political matter, you know. It's it's everyone can agree to help. Your fellow neighbor. I mean, that's what it's all about. The golden rule, you know. Especially when you realize fully that they are U.S. citizens, yeah, just like you and me. You're not helping a foreigner. Mm-hmm. You're helping a fellow American by making a difference. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, um, proud to call you my friend. I you am know? very much so, <laughs> and as well. uh, I look Thank forward you. to our next year. I'm looking forward shows. to it too. I think it's going to be fantastic, especially we'll coming up name. <laughs> on the 100 year <laughs> anniversary know? of the station too. That's right. This got it's going to be a show that will be on the 100th anniversary of KDK's history. So, will be very, very interesting. <laughs> looking so, forward to it. I think your longevity in at KDKA. How long is it? Almost 10 years now, full time, mm-hmm. and that um, I think you're like the chameleon of the station. In the sense that you have your own talk show, but then you also do the morning show for two weeks at the end of every year. Um, you know, you had your afternoon program, and it may not seem like a big jump, but each, even like Larry Richards says, he couldn't do your job, or you know, uh, Lynn or Wendy's job, because you have to fill time with opinion and talk. And I would just like to know the difference, but and like producing your show when I was the last two weeks of the year. I could just tell you, oh, yeah, five extra minutes because commercials are few and far between at the end of the year. And you would just be like, oh, okay, instead of some that I've worked with that would panic and be like, oh, good Lord, what am I going to talk about? How do you know the difference between a morning show where you're not trying to be too controversial and then your night show whenever you can get into like hot topics of the day? What I try to do is know what the show is that I'm filling in for or doing What does the audience typically expect? What direction do they want it to go in? And then, I I don't know. I've just been blessed with an ability to be able to know. I've never gone to school. You know, it wasn't as though I went to a broadcast school, never went to college uh, to be a broadcaster. It was just something that some people have natural abilities to do certain things. I don't mean to sound weird about it. I just know what to expect and then... Over the course of doing this now, I mean, my goodness, I've been doing it for 25 years, right. that you just know that's what is expected of you in this particular time. Uh, one of our uh, bosses here, PJ Kamanchik, uh, says, read the room. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty important. Can you read the room and understand what it is that's expected of you at that time, whether you're doing the morning show or you're doing a regular talk show, or you're sitting down for an hour wanting to talk to an advertiser that's interested in doing a Pittsburgh Works kind of a show, and knowing that it isn't always about me, it's about me putting myself as the focal point. It's about being able to um, give people what they're wanting and then give others the ability to have their opportunity to shine too at the same time. And another uh, interesting thing, one of the first things you ever told me when I was a, um, an intern was that you don't, you don't like the sound of your own voice. Is that still hate true? It. Hate it. I absolutely hate it. 
Like I, I more than likely I will not listen to this podcast. <laughs> right. Because I just can't stand listening to me. If I'm in the car and one of my commercials comes on, I turn it down. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just don't like listening to me whatsoever. I, I I have gone my entire radio career wondering why it is people bother to tune in and listen. See, I don't like the sound of my voice, and obviously I'm not on as much as you are. Um, very rarely I'll fill in and do like a little segment for Lynn or you or something. But um, I, I don't like the sound of my voice, but I when somebody tells me, like, hey, I like your voice, I can accept that as a compliment. Can you... Because I think you have a great voice for radio, but do you believe that, or does it kind of just? Well, obviously, um, if since I've been doing it for twenty five years, there have been enough people who have thought that I do this pretty decently and sound okay on the radio. Um, I, I think part of it may be from a genuine sense of humility that I've never thought highly of myself. Uh, it's just. I think it goes back to the whole religion thing that we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, mm-hmm. that um, you're better off living a life where you don't puff yourself up. Uh, it isn't as though it's not genuine, um, but I, I take the compliment. Uh, I am thankful and appreciative that people do enjoy listening and do enjoy what they hear. Um, but at the same time, there's always that thing in the back of my head where, you know, they're nice, and I, but I just don't completely buy into it yet. So you were born Catholic, we can tell from that guilt, uh, <laughs> but because I had that too. No, I, th- I, I don't think you're depressed or anything. It's just oh, no. you're humble. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Humble would be uh, the the right word. I, no, I, you're right. I'm not depressed. I don't. I, I have been immensely blessed in my life. Um, if this is the last time I do anything on the radio, I will have done a completely full career and look back on it with smiles every single moment. Um, if I were to pass away today, I can look back on life and say that it's been a wonderful trip, that I've enjoyed all of it, and all of it has been great. But at the same time, um, realizing that you want to be able to do more. You want to be able to continue. You want to be able to still do things that matter, mm-hmm. uh, but always keeping in mind that you're better off lifting somebody else up instead of trying to figure out ways of lifting yourself up. Right. I just want to say one last thing about Robert. I think he's uh, he's one of my favorite people since I started working here. He Even when I was an intern, uh, he was one of the first hosts or personalities to um, give me the time of day. And um, for people that want to know, kind of, you used to ask, is Marty the same on the air and off the air? Is Mike the same on the air and off the air? The answer is generally yes, and the same applies for you. I think you're just a little bit more opinionated on the air for, uh, you know, you have your opinions. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I really admire about you is how you separate your political beliefs and cultural beliefs from your religious beliefs and how you don't really harp on like hit hammer home you know just because i'm this doesn't mean i can't believe that yeah when it comes to issues like that and um i guess abortion probably is one that is the the most so many people look at and will take their hard and fast position i realize the sphere in which i am talking i am not hosting a show on a religious radio station i'm hosting a show on a secular station And the issue that we're dealing with is the government and not how a church ought to view something. Mm -hmm. Now, how can you make a compelling argument just from reason that would be able to withstand the muster of a constitutional challenge in an opinion and present it that way and realize this is it's another one of those ones where you're reading the room. You recognize where you are, the sphere that you're having the conversation and the desire that I genuinely have in trying to change people's minds at times, where sometimes we'll do a show and it's just about, you know, you express you what you think, I express what I think. And then there's another aspect to where if you want to be able to persuade someone, I've never known of anyone that's ever changed their mind because they were called an idiot. Right. They were somehow insulted. Mm-hmm. But if you ask the compelling questions, 
that just won't go away, then therefore many people, they're challenging enough. Well, I think you also realize that you're not going to convince, you're not going to change a lot of people's minds, but the thing you can at least do is get them to think a little bit. Yeah, and that's one of the greatest compliments that I've ever gotten as a talk show host is that the things that you bring up challenge me and how I've thought about things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's the best you can hope for. And hopefully the challenges are that, and I get that from both the left and the right, because many times liberals think I'm a conservative and conservatives think I'm a liberal. But if it can draw people to the center in the sense of at least an appreciation for where the other side is coming from Mm -hmm. and put themselves in their shoes just a little bit to where the discourse can be just a little more civil than it was or or that it is now. Right. Some good can get accomplished out of that too. And thank you again for coming on. You're welcome. That's it for Pitt.